kind of a, um, a part two, because last week we started this uh, talking about what, you know, Jesus bringing this child, right, out and put him in front of the disciples, and we talked about what possible the age, and we looked at the kind of the cultural, like, the view of, of children, you know, and, and of, of the day, and, and we also looked at a little bit of how today we see children, and we looked at also kind of the, what's it mean to have a childlike attribute in any positive sense and how that can be beneficial. So we'd spend a lot of time talking about childlike behavior, really, in, in, in a positive sense. Because childlike behavior could also be quite a negative thing as well if, you know, your childishness causes you from growing up. We know that's a problem because Paul even rebuked the church in Corinth. He wishes that they would be growing up. So he would, rather than giving them baby's milk, he can give them meaty content to the Word of God. So we talked a little bit about those things last week. But we're going to continue that thought through Matthew 18, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, and the thoughts that we're going to, and the content that we're going to get from these verses are going to carry their way out through the whole chapter 18. So, uh, so bear with me when we go through it. We're going to look at a lot of different things about being a child. And I entitled this one, Being a Child of God. And that's why I say in the old Elizabethan English, you know, you would think I've been reading my, my King James Bible. Be ye God's child, you know, um, because the, I think here's the invitation. He put the, be the child out and says, if you want to enter, well, in fact, put in the first slide. We'll go ahead and go into it. Great. Because that's pretty much, I think, a good description of what we're going to learn. Children. And of course, I titled the first, you're going to see this title a lot throughout, by the way. Children are great. And I'm also putting it in steps. So I think it's four steps in total. But the first step is step one, Christians must repent. Okay, so Christians are a repentant people. Okay. Um, and this is a message that's been since day one. Before Jesus was, there was John the Baptist going around saying, make a clear path for Christ, the Messiah. Make a clear path. And he says, repentance. And then Jesus came and he taught the same message. Repentance. Change. Change your way. Change your... And there's a definition of repentance on the very bottom. To turn. Turn around. To turn oneself. I.e. to turn back to one of... Uh, turn back to one of one who no longer cares for another. This is in, and I put it here in my own notes. This is in keeping of the original mission statement that begun with John, Christ's cousin who baptized many. So again, the idea of repentance, it's almost like it's, it's the necessary starting point. When dealing with people, Jesus, this the apostles, John himself before Jesus, made it very clear that repentance is very, very, very essential, very important. And I think, and the reason why I'm starting with it in here is it looks like that's what Jesus is talking about again. I mean, I could be wrong, but this looks very similar to what we see when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. When, when this guy Nicodemus came in and says, listen, you know, and he starts talking to him about the kingdom of heaven and, and whatnot and establishing a kingdom. Uh, Jesus says, you won't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So what does that mean to be born again? And is it a necessary attribute to being a Christian? Is it a 
attributes of great understanding and virtue. That, that's why I put here, salvation, understanding, question mark. In my personal opinion, I think a person who, who has understanding is a person who is saved. Because you can't have understanding unless you have been born again, unless you've been saved. So it's almost like it's a, it's a necessary presence. If you're going to have salvation, you're going to have to have understanding. And if you have understanding, you're going to be saved. So it's almost like, uh, I don't know, you know, it almost goes together. You can't have one without the other kind of thing. So I do think there is an, a great element of salvation here. Are you right with God? And to be right with God, you need to be like this child. And that's what I think Jesus is indeed saying. So it goes on, verse 1, At the time the disciples came to him and asked, Who then is the grace in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, placed the child among them. Okay, now bear in mind, some people, I was looking through various commentaries, the tendency is to put a lot of emphasis on the child. He brought the child in like an illustration, like a sermon would have an illustration. But then he goes on from there teaching the disciples about being disciples of of God, being children of God. So the the content we're going to see here mostly isn't about the child specifically, this individual child. It's just an illustration. He's talking to you. You want to be great. You're talking about being great. You need to be like this child. So he's not going to describe the child anymore in an individual sense, like this child. He's going to start talking about being disciples, children of God, in a more broad sense. So here he goes. Here's this child. He says, if I tell you then, here's the lesson for us in general, unless you change, and that's the word repentance, that's where we're getting the idea of repentance from, by the way, is from that word change, unless you change and become like little children. And we talked a lot about that last week, so I'm not going to spare the details, okay? I'm going to move on from that. Be like little children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, one of the, some of the characteristics that come to mind by little children is they, they trust in, in mommy and daddy. You know, they have, they're, they're open. And, and one thing I was talking, you know, I, I always say when I talk to people, in fact, I was talking to Wendy about this last night, is just the cool thing about children is that they're just so open, to anything. They're, they're open to spiritual things. You can give them Bible verses. You can talk to them about Jesus. You can talk to them about God. And they're open. They'll receive it. They'll talk about it. They're, they're open. They're thinking and discussing these things. It's when we get older that we tend to shut off. And, and we see a lot of people in our ministry, older families, you know, or, or family, older people like my age and whatnot, who they're just not going to have it. Shut off to the gospel. Not going to have it. And so there is a character of childlikeness where they're, they're, they're willing to be open to direction from an authority figure, okay? And that's what he's, we're seeing here. We need to submit, we need to humble ourselves, submit to an authority figure. That authority figure, obviously, is God and the Lordship of Christ. So unless you change, so stop being the Lord of your own life and be like a child looking for a dad, a mom, you know, that figure who would obviously be, you know, God in heaven, you will never, and, and this is why I say, again, this, this is very likely a salvation kind of principle, is that the word never enter, the kingdom of heaven. That word never enters a very strong word. And so here I would say, and I would recommend, let us make sure that we are like a child in this respect. Because we want to enter, want to see. In order to have that, we need to put on this character that he's talking about. Just like how he told Nicodemus, you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. I, I want to do that. I want to have that. And I mean, to say no to that, I think would just be silly. Why wouldn't you want that, number one? Number two, if it's this important to Jesus that we have this characteristic, let us pray and ask, God, give me, I want to have this characteristic. So I want to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Next slide, please. And then step two, children are great. Step two, great Christians, whatever that means, are humble servants of God. False. What does that mean, servants of God? No, they're humble servants of other Christians. Do you know that? It's like, oh, I serve God. I serve God. Well, Jesus never asked you to serve God in, well, here he's not. He may have other places, but I haven't seen it yet. Maybe we'll get to it. <laughs> but what he asks is that we serve each other. We serve each other. It says there in Matthew 18, 4, therefore, whoever takes this lowly position, wow, I don't want to serve other Christians. I don't want to serve other people. I want to serve God in an abstract sense because I could do anything I want <laughs> and say I'm serving God. But I don't want to serve other people. I don't want to serve other Christians. It takes a lowly position. It takes humility. And again, lowly position, humility to lower one's soul, bring down one's pride, to have a modest opinion of oneself, to behave in an unassuming manner, devoid of haughtiness. And I put the definition of haughtiness next to it. The appearance or quality of being arrogant, superior, and disdainful. We need to put away haughtiness. We need to put on humility. And that is required to serve other people. And so again, he takes this lowly position, this child. You want to be great? Whoever takes this lowly position, this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you can see them looking at each other, the disciples, like, but I want to be like, because in, in, in the human mentality, like naturally, in the natural man, the worldly thing is, a great person is a person who served, right? Isn't a great person, like what's, who's a great person? A king. Does a king serve? No, kings get served. I want to be like a king. I want to be like a prince. I want to be served, because that's, that's the benefits of being great, right? But Jesus saying, no, you want to be great, you need to serve. And he goes on to say, well, here's some other, before we get, oh, go on, because he's, he's going to develop this thought. So put this thought in your back pocket for a while. And let's look at other verses that are about being great in God's kingdom. Matthew 5.19 says this, and I believe these actually agree with what we're reading here. Matthew 5.19 says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside or ignores one of these least of these commands, here he's talking about the commandment that he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and teaches others accordingly, he will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So again, the idea here is the least is the one who disregards certain principles and scriptures, and also encourages others to do the same. But whoever practices and teaches, so these commandments. So these commandments, what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount and the principles of kingdom of heaven and all the things that we're seeing is really in scripture. So if you practice them, if you seek to live by these things and encourage others, to teach others, to do the same, that is a great thing. That is, those who do that are great in the kingdom of God. And I think that right there takes humility. It takes humility to look at the scriptures openly and honestly and say, okay, God, I might have it wrong. Let's open the word, let's look at the word, let's see what's going on here, and ah, I'm struggling with this stuff. But you know what? I'm gonna change. As opposed to the one who says, no, no I'm gonna change it to fit my perspective. I'm gonna change it to fit my denomination. I'm gonna fit it to change you know, the way I wanna live my life. That's ignoring certain principles. And if you go in and tell people it's okay to do that, that's least kingdom kind of, you might be saved and going to heaven and woohoo, you know, all that stuff, but it's not a good Characteristic, A great characteristic is being humble to the scriptures, open, taking it, learning it, practicing it, encouraging others to do the same. Another great thing, 
how to become great, we see it in Matthew 20. And again, this fits with what we're saying and what I'm claiming here this morning. Matthew 20, 25 says this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Again, like I said earlier, the idea of being great is to, is to be like a, 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 a lord, to be a ruler, a king, like I said, to be served. And what do they do? What's the benefits? What's the, what, what do they like about it? Is they get to lord over others. The rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority. So that's another idea, human idea of greatness. I want to have authority over other people. So I want to strive to have great position, great authority, so I can lord it over people. That, to me, is a great thing. That's what great people do. And that is a human perspective. Uh, I don't think it's a spiritual perspective, but it is very common in humanity. And that's why Jesus says here, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you. And here's where I get my idea of being servants of other Christians. What's he say here? Let's analyze these words very, very carefully. Whoever wants to become great among you, okay, so raise your hand if you want to be great, then this is the criteria, must be your servant. doesn't say if you want to be great, you must be a fantastic servant of God. Now, the irony is, in serving others, we do serve God. I do believe that is very much so the case. But look at the words he uses here. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Who is the your he's talking to? He's talking to other Christians, other people who are children, believers, followers of Christ. And whoever wants to be first must be, again, your slave. And then he goes on to expound exactly what Jesus is doing. And he's doing this. He's serving the disciples. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. So, again, step two. Children are great. Great Christians, whatever that means, are humble servants of each other. Next slide, please. Children are great. Step three, God cares for his children. Again, I'm going to take the same flow of thought. Because some people, I say, I claim that they take these scriptures out of context. And I don't want to take it out of context. So I'm going to challenge the intuitive interpretation here if it was taken as a sole nugget of scriptures. But I'm going to try to refuse that tendency and try to take it all as if it's one flow of thought. And I believe Jesus is doing that, one flow of thought. And so step three, it talks about God cares for his children. His children are of his kind. Okay? So we need to repent. To be great, we need to serve each other. To God cares for us. He cares for his children. He loves his children. And we are his kind. We're like an inheritance of his nature. And 1 John talks about that. 1 John. I love John. John actually, in chapter 18 of Matthew, almost like they almost work so beautifully together. Even the Gospel of John. I mean, John's heart is what Jesus is teaching here in Matthew 18. John, 1 John, the epistle, 1 John 3, 1, 2 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We actually are children of God. And I like that because he puts in a big explanation mark afterwards. Woohoo! How great that the Father's lavished great love upon us. 
We are children of God. The reason the world, oh, he goes on to say, I'm sorry, um, we call children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us or welcome us is because it does not know him. The reason the world does not know us, not welcomed by the world, is that it, the world, does not know him, God. Doesn't know God, we won't know that they won't know his children. Because we do things like God, which is a lot different than how the world tends to do things. Dear friends, now we are children of God. Okay, the reason that's important is because I think in context, this is what Jesus is talking about. You need to be like this little child here. You wanna be great? You be a great child. Humble, lowly position. Okay, God loves his children. He cares for his children. Now, bear in mind, I believe God cares for all children. No doubt about it. He cares for all people. And children are people. <laughs> but he cares for his children who are, you know, the elect, the anointed, the ones who have, have obedience and faith in Jesus and faith in God. He loves those ones. So he goes, and whoever welcomes one such of this kind of sort. One such is what threw me off here. Because he's not talking... I think the tendency is to think, well, if you welcome little ones, you welcome God. But he's talking about the kind of the sort of thing he's talking about here. And he's talking about these disciples who are being like the children. He's talking about the disciples who are taking a humble position and serving each other. He's talking about the disciples. This is the flow of thought. Whoever welcomes one such. Who's he talking about? If you welcome a disciple, a child of God, in the name, so again, and one who welcomes one such child in my name, in the name of Christ, in the name of God, for the sake of Christ, for, or Christ, for the sake of God, welcomes Jesus, the Messiah himself. So again, to welcome, to, what does it say to welcome? To take up, right here, to take up, to receive, to take upon oneself, sustain, bear, endure, See, that's is why I see fellowship coming in, right? <laughs> right? This is where fellowship is. But sometimes in fellowship, we have to learn to kind of sustain <laughs> with one another, to bear with one another, to receive, to get each other. We don't always have to be best friends forever, but we need to bear with one another. Welcome to be there for each other, to be, again, and if you're going to serve one another, you have to be able to welcome one another. And he goes on to say, if anyone causes one of these little ones, again, I do believe he's still talking about disciples here. Some commentators disagree with this and say he's talking about just children. But I think he's talking about disciples because he goes on to say, those who believe in me. Okay? Those who believe in me. He's, that's a very strong statement here. His disciples, these children of God, those who believe in me. If anyone causes these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who would do such a thing? Who's he talking about here? Okay, if we're talking about disciples, people who love God, young and old alike, believers, people who just, I belong to God, God's my father, I'm his child. Who would cause him to stumble? What's that mean to stumble? Well, stumble, again, means, um, well, I'm sorry, I put this uh, different translations, to stumble. Little ones who trust in me to fall into sense. That's what the New Living says. Instead of saying cause them one to stumble, the New Living translation says, little ones who trust in me to fall in sense. So a person who trusts, what would cause them to stumble to walk away from that trust relationship? To stumble, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. You see how this, you see how we're getting a big picture here? This is called apostasy. 
to turn from having total trust in God. Right? That's what the word apostasy means. And here I think he's saying, be careful for those who would cause you to stumble, to leave your love, to leave that place where you're the child of God. And you say, you know, and I think about my children when they, they break my heart, when they walk away and disobey me, you know, especially when they're doing something stupid. That's called apostasy when it comes to our relationship with God. And, and we're going to deal with this. The next few, oh, no, what we're going to do with the next few slides is the next little phrase it says here. So, sorry. It goes on to say, then, woe to the world, because, because this here just describes who causes the stumble. This is where the stumbling comes from. Woe to the world, okay, the world, as one example, the world because of the things that causes people to stumble. So there's things in the world that cause people to stumble, okay? Um... Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So woe to the world because of the the things that cause people to stumble. And also, and such things must come. Again, John talks a lot about how, in fact, we're going to talk about John in a second, so just bear with me. And also woe to the person. Who's that person through whom they come? Next slide, please. So the first thing. Woe to the world. And I entitled this, It's All in the Family. It's all in the family. Are we talking about children, parent relationships? It's all in the family. John 15, 18 says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Okay, this is Christ talking. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own because you belong to that family. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I put that, that's my country, I think. No, 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 actually, I emphasize that, I'm sorry. That is why the world hates you. And Jesus goes on to say, remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Again, in my name's sake. Remember if you even welcomes one of these little ones, in my name's sake. Remember? Now here it's talking about being rejected or persecuted because of his namesake. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Of course, that's God. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. See, this is the problem that we have here, guys. <laughs> my brothers, is the world knows exactly what the gospel is. In a sense that they know it's about their sin. They're guilty, right? People don't like Christianity. They don't like the Bible. They don't like Christ because they know that it's about how they can't do it themselves. There's, you don't have to, it doesn't take long to talk to a person who's never been to church and say, well, let me explain to you the gospel. You know, we're all sinners. Ah, don't call me a sinner. Who do you think you are? Self-righteous Christian. Get out of my face, right? This is why they hate Christ. This is why they hate us. Again, I'll say it again. If I had not come and spoken to them, see, Jesus came to, and he declared the guilt of the world. They would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. See, what's the, what do you mean they have no excuse for sin? Because you see, Jesus not only did he speak the fact that they're sinners, that we're sinners, but he also gave deliverance. He gave a way out. But we have to choose to take that way out. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done 
If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. See, not only is it that he spoke, but he also did things that no one else can. All the miracles, all the wonders, all the signs, all the things that Jesus did, it's just God sticking his face to the clouds and saying, listen, here's my son. He actually did do that, didn't he? Here's my son, whom I am well pleased. We already saw that in the transfiguration. Jesus has made his presence very loud, very clear for the world until the thing stops. There's enough information here to last us for the whole human history to know that God has spoken, that Jesus is the Messiah, but the world hates it. Why? Because they have to admit their sin. They have to admit that they need him, that they're wrong. Again, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in the law. They hated me without reason. So, that's one of the problems. The hate of the world. The world hates Christ. The world hates God. And the world's going to hate us as well. That will cause many to stumble. Next slide, please, Robert. Woe to the person. Woe to the person. What does that mean, woe to the person? Again, it's all in the family. 1 John 2, 18 and 22 says this. Dear children. Okay, again, it's all in the family. (laughs) Dear children. That's us, children of God. This is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And I entitled this last little bit. Because now we have an idea of maybe who is the agent, who is the cause of apostasy. And here I put sad, sad apostasy. This is my little thing. And then it goes on to say, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not come, do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Common sense, basic logic. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. See, remember we talked about that? The attack against the church, the core of the church, is the very fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is an attack against that, which was prophesied even by Christ himself. This is what what the Antichrist, this is what Satan, the enemy, the the deceiver, the foe, this is what he's going to do. He's going to attack the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And here we see it happening. So the world hates God, hates Jesus, hates us, hates the name of Jesus, hates what he stands for, hates that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And Satan's going to attack it. You might use agents like the Antichrist or Antichrists, as we see here. And what it is, they're going to trip people up to stop believing, to deny Jesus. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Sad, sad, sad apostasy. That's why I called it that. Next slide, please. And so the logical next step is this. Please do all that you can do to avoid apostasy. (laughs) Isn't that not common sense? Isn't that not logical? Because he's talking about people in the church who walked away. Matthew 18, 8, 9. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying in our text for this morning. Matthew 8, 8, 9 says this. So in regards to what Jesus is teaching us, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble. Again, what's the stumbling? We were talking about the stumbling is. The walking away. The apostasy. Cut it off. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. 
And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. The only way I can actually interpret, preach this portion of scripture is this way. A, Jesus, I don't think, is advocating mutilation of one's body. I think he's using a technique here to really get the point across. And the point is this, do everything you can (laughs) to avoid the stumbling that he's talking about. Do everything in your power to avoid the stumbling, the apostasy. Do what you can. That's why I put here, please do all that you can to avoid apostasy. Get close to God. Love God. Be the great child that he promised you can be by serving others and just get in there. Avoid it. Do all that you can. I don't want to see you guys come to church with your hands cut off, okay? Please, and your eyes popped out. I'll get grossed out, and I won't come back to church ever again if I see that stuff, okay? I don't think he's advocating this mutation kinds of thing. He's making a, a, an extreme point. Do all that you can to avoid apostasy. Stumble. Again, we talked about it. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Again, this is apostasy. Turn from having total trust in God. Next slide, please. I'm going to take liberty of having the children here, and I'm going to go a little bit late. So please take a deep breath, because uh, we're going to go for another slide and a half. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. So I, I, got, I want to conclude this, because I think this is a pretty important message that needs to be self-contained. Children are great. When someone walks away and we're tempted to condemn, step four. When we are still God's children in whom he loves and cares for. Now this is tough. Because we have all may have encountered situations where apostasy has happened. Someone's there, they walked away, they reject God. Again, I think of like Billy Graham's uh, contemporary, Charles Templeton. You guys heard of Charles Templeton? He's the, is that his name Charles Templeton? I think so, yeah. Sure said yes. I read it in a book called... uh, Lee Strobel's um, Case for Faith, I believe. He talked about, um, he's a Canadian evangelist who was actually at the time believed to be a better evangelist than Billy Graham. Imagine that, a better evangelist, modern day evangelist than Billy Graham. But one day, he woke up and said, I don't believe in God. He turned away from God, walked a life of apostasy, totally turned away from God. What? Crazy. So it happens, it's possible. But we need to be careful how do we deal with that situation? How do we deal with that case? How do we deal with those people? Well, Matthew 18, 10, 11 goes on to say, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Again, little ones, those who have faith, is it talking about the ones who've walked away? Well, what if somebody's walked away for just a time being? Maybe they're just going through a hard time and they need to be woed back, ministered to. So we don't want to automatically judge, condemn one for walking away. What we should do is reach out for them because these and he's going to go on to confirm this, by the way, by talking about how he, Jesus goes and chases after, a good shepherd goes and chases after the sheep that go astray. So I believe this is what he's talking about here, when sheep go astray. So do not despise the little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Galatians 6.16 gives some advice on how we should deal with someone who walks away. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in sin, You who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. And by the way, he's going to go on again in Matthew 18, if you keep on reading, and talking about church discipline. So this is why I believe that this is what he's talking about here. Because he's going to go on and explain more about church discipline in Matthew 18. But here, Galatians 6.1 talks about if you're spiritual and you see someone in sin, you're gentle with them. 
But watch yourselves. Don't come with the pride and arrogance. Again, it's about humbly serving one another. Or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Well, that's common sense again. Each one should test their own actions. Look at you, your actions. They, and they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I'm not going to examine that too much. You know, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. I just want to get the point across. Spiritual ones, the ones who are doing all right with God. We're all children of God. Somebody's struggling, they walk away, they leave. Pray for them, reach out to them, love them. There's so many broken spirits in, in this village, for instance, who used to belong to God, but now they've walked away because of the cares of the world, because the, the lies of the Antichrist are coming in and has stumbled so many people. We need to love them. We need to care for them and be gentle with them. And again, these thoughts are going to be continued, okay? So this, these thoughts, we're not going to end with this here. We're, this, Jesus will develop these thoughts in the scriptures to come, okay? But last slide, and I'm just going to sum up because we dealt with a lot of information. That's how much we dealt with today. A lot of information. So it might have been very overwhelming, but I'm going to summarize it. In summary, children of God are repentant sinners, Great children serve other children. God's children represent their father. He's in the likeness of their father. He cares for and protects his children. The enemy comes, call him the Antichrist, or maybe the Antichrist being the agent of Satan or the enemy or the deceiver, whatever you want to call him. They're working for the same cause, basically. And that's to go against God and his people. So the enemy comes after God's children. He would, or they would, desire that God's children walk away or apostate, to stumble, to leave God. Do all that you can to protect yourself. See, remember we talked about that? Do not condemn a fallen sibling. God will deal with them in due time. Protect your own heart in order to protect yourself from sinning as well. Now, Think about this, and I'm going to maybe unpack this next week, or not next week, but in two weeks' time, because we're going to have a couple other special messages before we continue Matthew. But think about the prodigal son. Isn't that exactly what we're talking about this morning? Think about the differences in the father's attitude when the son returned and his love for him, and the brother's attitude. So many times you can be like the brother, like, but wait a second, I'm so good, and he's so naughty. <laughs> but the father was so happy to see his son return. Think about the attitudes, right? Oh, 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 oh,